We, we love before and after pictures, don't we? You know, we love looking at the before picture and then we'll look at the after picture to notice the obvious changes before the before picture and the after picture. Well, I want you to take a look at this. That's a before picture of me. It was taken in September 2007. It was the very day I got on a bus in Maryland to come to Connecticut to be in Pivot. Now, mind you, this picture follows 23 years of drug addiction. 23 years. It's literally darkness and death, hopelessness. By this time in my journey, my heart had become bitter towards everything and everybody. I had destroyed many of my relationships, including, including those of my family. I had a reputation of being untrustworthy, manipulative, self-centered, total darkness, hopelessness, and death. And then, in 2010... Three years later, amen, the picture on the right was taken three years later. That's the after picture, a stark difference. The before mm, and the after, from death to life. A new creation in Christ, as Chuck mentioned earlier. Looks like a new creation. Well, this morning in our reading, in Acts chapter 9, we get to see another one of those before and after pictures. One of those before and after pictures of our brother Saul, who would later become known as Paul. Now, this isn't a before and after picture of some living room makeover or some kitchen renovation. It's a personal before and after picture. It's the before and after picture of a life. And what we don't ever see in between the before and the after is what happens in the middle. We never get to see what happens in the middle. What happens in the middle, saints, is conversion. Conversion, a change, a shift. So my focus this morning is what's in the middle? What's in the middle? That's what we'll get to see today in this text. Not just the before and after picture, but the conversion that takes place. We'll get to see that space in the middle, a personal conversion of the Apostle Paul, who at this point is still called Saul. Now, there's another conversion we're going to talk about later in the story as well. So we love the before and we love the after picture. But to look at conversion, we need to take a look at how we get to the after picture. We need to look at how we get from here to there. And we can learn three aspects of conversion from this text. 
Three aspects I want to share with you this morning. Three principles, three truths about conversion, about change, about a personal shifting into the life that God has planned for us. Three truths. Conversion is a matter of life and death. Number two, conversion is an ongoing process. And number three, conversion is initiated by God. It's a matter of life and death. It's an ongoing process. And it's initiated by God. So what do I mean when I say conversion is a matter of life and death? Let's take a look at the word. If you still have your Bibles open, follow along with me. We'll unpack this together. In verse 1 of the reading, it says that Saul is breathing threats of murder against the disciples of Jesus. He's breathing threats and murder against the disciples. And then in verse 20, just 20 verses later, the same man is proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue. He goes from breathing threats and murder to proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue. Well, how does he get from there to here? There's the before picture, breeding threats and murder, and then there's the after picture, proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue. How do we get to that after picture? Saul goes through a death and a resurrection. Let's go a little deeper, saints. Follow along with me now. In the beginning of the story, Saul is met by Jesus. There is this blinding light. I, when, I, when I read that, I think about the Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah. Those walking in darkness have seen a great light. Well, this is literal for Paul, for Saul. He literally sees the bright light of Jesus and it flashes all around him. He's been walking in darkness for a long time and Jesus floods in like the morning sunrise. And Saul falls to the ground. In the text, in verse 9, Saul experiences what can best be described as a spiritual death and resurrection. Verse 9 says, for three days he was without sight and he neither ate nor drank. It's on the third day that he meets Ananias for that prayer that they have together. And then verse 18, it says, immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. He rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Saints, that story, that picture, it should remind you of something. The death and resurrection of Jesus Three days in the ground, and on the third day, he rose again. Saul spends three days without sight, without eating, without drinking. For all intents and purposes, he's a dead man. He's in a coma-like condition, and he's going through this spiritual death. On the third day, it says scales fell from his eyes like the stone was rolled away from the tomb of Jesus. He rises up, he gains strength, and he's baptized. Saul experiences a spiritual death and the resurrection in the baptism. 
Matter of fact, Paul would even describe his conversion in precisely those terms pertaining to his baptism. In Romans, he writes, all of us who'd been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live in new life. Spiritual death in Christ, new life in the resurrection. Saints, it's like when we go beneath the waters of baptism, we participate with Jesus in his death, just as he went to the tomb. And when we rise above the waters of baptism, we come out with a new life that Christ afforded us in that resurrection. Conversion, it's a matter of life and death. Saints, you have to go from the sinful self in its murderous and threatening ways into new life. You get transformed, becoming a new man, a new woman. And then you turn and you have new life and you breathe life into the world. Death and resurrection. It's a matter of life and death, saints. We must go to the cross with Jesus and then to the grave with Jesus with our sinful selves, leaving it there, and then walking out with him in new life. It's about being reborn, saints. It's about being transformed. Many people, when they talk about conversion, they really are only talking in terms of behavior modification. They'll say, well, I used to do this list of behaviors, and Now I do this list of behaviors. I've been converted. Saints, God wants something deeper for us. He wants us to die to the sinful self and to live in a new self, a new man, a new woman. God wants for you more than just to change your behaviors. He wants a new life. God wants you to go to the cross with your old self and walk out of the tomb in a new life. Conversion is a matter of life and death. Now, today, maybe that's not your story. Maybe you came to Jesus long ago. Maybe you consider yourself now a disciple and a follower of Jesus. Maybe you identify more with Ananias in this story. Ananias, in verse 10, is described as a disciple. Verse 10 reads, now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Saints, Ananias, too, is already a disciple of Jesus. He goes through a conversion of his own. He, too, grows through a change in this story. His isn't from death to life, but his is from obedience to surrender. His is from following Jesus to submitting fully to the will of God. Let's look again at verse 10. It's describing Ananias. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Ananias is already in. He's already been converted, and he's a follower of Jesus. Here, the Lord calls him in a vision. He gets a much gentler approach from Jesus. Not like the blinding light from, from, that Saul got. And God only calls his name once. 
Ananias. Ananias says, here I am, Lord. Ananias is saying, I'm available for my next assignment, God. Tell me what it is you wish of me. So God tells Ananias some instructions, and Ananias listens to them and responds, oh, but not that, Lord. (laughs) Basically, he's saying, I couldn't possibly go and do that. And then Ananias thinks he needs to give God some information that God is lacking. Have you heard about this man's soul? Do you know what he's been doing to the saints in Jerusalem? Remember, Ananias is faithful. He's he's an obedient disciple of Jesus. But when he's given a task that doesn't make sense, he's given a task that's too big for him and he doesn't understand, he says, I couldn't possibly do that, God. Saints, how often are we ready to do what God asks of us? Until we hear what it is. But then we watch as God explains to Ananias. I do want you to go. I want you to submit to me. I want you to surrender your will to mine. And we watch Ananias as he does that very thing. Ananias goes through a conversion of his own. It's a sanctifying moment for Ananias. He surrenders and he goes to meet Saul. In verse 17, it says, Ananias departs and he enters the house. Can you imagine what Ananias was thinking at that moment? Saul, this is the one whose job it is to kill people like me. Here, Ananias is surrendering his will to the will of God, still uncertain as to how this thing is going to turn out. Ananias finds the house that's been described to him in the vision, and he enters in. Now, I know if that were me, my heart would probably be beating a thousand beats a minute. I'd be nervous even as I surrender my will to God. Can you imagine Being in that space, Ananias finds Saul. He lays his hands on Saul as instructed. And in the act of full surrender, he calls Saul brother. You got to think about that. Was Ananias thinking, what was he thinking the day before? The last thing he would have called Saul was brother. This is Ananias experiencing that conversion of his own, that ongoing conversion. That's what enabled Ananias to call Saul brother. This is the Christian killer. But then not only that, he prays for him. They pray together. These two men both led there by Jesus, get to experience this moment where Ananias prays for Saul and gets to see the scales fall from Saul's eyes. Saul rises up and goes from running against God's people to bringing his deathly self to the cross. 
both men get to experience a miracle in their midst. I recently had the same kind of incident. It took me deeper. It required that I submit totally to God's will. So for the last several months, I, and along with some of the students, we get up and we go jogging in the morning. We're out on the field by 5.30 in the morning for 30 minutes of exercise. Well, one recent morning, out on the track, I noticed there was a guy sleeping, lying over on the bench on the field. Mind you, remind you, it's 5.30 in the morning. After my first lap around the track, I get this nudge in my spirit to go and pray for the guy on the bench. I knew it was God. I totally ignored it. I just kept, I just simply kept running. My second lap around the the, the track, the nudge was persistent. Again, I knew it was the Lord speaking to my heart to go and pray for that person over on the bench. My response at that moment was, Lord, I'm in Bridgeport. It's 5.30 in the morning. That could be anybody over there. This may not go well for me. Sounds familiar, right? Nonetheless, the Lord continued to nudge my spirit, and in that moment, I totally submitted to God's will. And I went over to pray for this guy. Admittedly, still nervous, still concerns, so I invited one of the students to go with me. <laughs> we go two by two, as, uh, as tradition anyway. So we got over, and I introduced myself, and I spoke to the gentleman for a while. He told me his name was Dwight. I told him all about Pivot. And then I asked him, can we pray for you? And he accepted prayer. After the prayer, he said, I'll, I'll think about it. So off we went. The next day, we're back out on the track at 5.30 again. Well, who's out there but the white? I went, I went over to him. We spoke again further about Pivot. And today, the white is a part of Pivot's program. And the white gave me permission to share that. And he's here with us this morning. Dwight. In a moment of total submission, Dwight and I got to experience a miracle. In our midst. Conversion is a matter of life and death. It's also an ongoing process. Acts Ananias. Lastly, conversion is always initiated by God. Now, one of the things that intrigued me about this passage is how God is moving the people. He's operating in Saul's life and Ananias' life simultaneously. He's moving in both spaces. Do you think Saul woke up that morning and thought, you know, I, I think 
I'm going to decide today to stop persecuting Jesus. I'm going to start following Jesus. Did you think Ananias woke up that morning and said, I think I'll go deeper with God today. I'm going to go from being an obedient disciple to one who's totally surrendered to God. No. No. Jesus appeared to both of them. In Saul's case, in a dramatic fashion, the blinding light. In Ananias' case, a vision. It was Jesus who appeared to them. It was Jesus who was the decider. It wasn't them making decisions for Jesus. It was God making a decision to pursue them. Saul was on his way to Damascus to persecute Jesus. He thought he was doing a good thing. But Jesus received him and met him on the way. He knew what Saul was all about, but Jesus still received him. Saints, often we judge. Even the people in your life that you think are running far away from God just might be running into the open arms of God. He's sovereign. God's view is so much bigger. He sees the pieces of the puzzle that we don't. Look at how specific God's description to Ananias is in verse 11. God is talking to Ananias, who's in Damascus, about another man who's also in Damascus. He sees the bird eye, he sees the bird's eye view. And then the Lord says to Ananias, rise, go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for the man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's there praying. God sees the whole scene. He's sovereign, and that's why Ananias needs to trust him. God gives Ananias some instructions from Ananias' earthly perspective. This makes no sense at all. Ananias' thinking is, go to the house and meet who and pray? God has a bigger view of the scene. God has a bigger view of all of our lives. Saints, we must remember that God is sovereign and he's always moving, even in the spaces that we don't realize or comprehend. He doesn't only have a view of Bridgeport. He doesn't only have a view of Richfield, but he has a sovereign view of all creation. If we open ourselves up and if we surrender our will to the will of God and ask for his perspective, he might, you just might get to be someone's Ananias. I recall a few years ago, uh, I witnessed God's sovereignty in a really, really special way. It was a hot summer day. It was a Friday. It was way before COVID. No one moved during COVID. It was 3.30 in the afternoon. I had a really busy day at work. I was just getting off and winding down for the day. So I'm heading to my car, and a fellow staff approaches and says, Pastor, could you please drive me to Norwalk? And I'm thinking, Norwalk? 3.30 rush hour? You got to be kidding. I mean, it was a long day. And it was kind of difficult for me. So I asked, I said, well, what's in Norwalk? And he responded, "Uh, Pastor Alfred Mack has been on my mind today. And I wanted to see if we can find him. So Alfred, he's an alumnus of Pivot. And he graduated along with me. And Alfred has continued to just struggle and be challenged. And we, we continue to pray for Alfred. 
Well, this particular day, Alfred was on this staff member's mind. So in that moment, I was saying, okay, let's go. But at the same time, I'm thinking, how are we going to find this guy? Who knows where he is? We could spend all day trying to find him, not to mention the traffic on 95. But nonetheless, my heart felt to go. So we did. Without any type of plan, without any discussion of where we would look, we ended up in front of the Norwalk shelter. We're about a block away from the shelter, and we noticed a guy standing on the corner. And the staff with me said, Pastor, I think that's him. I think that's him. And we pull up. And indeed, it was Alfred. We drew up to Alfred and we pulled up and said, get in the car. And he had this total look of confusion on his face. And I asked him, how long have you been standing out here? He goes, well, I was, I was across the street in, in, in a friend's house. And it was a real bad way over there, Pastor. And something just nudged me to come on outside. He didn't understand it. He just did it. He said, as I came out to the corner, I saw your car coming up. At, the point of, at that point, the three of us just looking at each other dumbfounded. <laughs> After attempting to make sense of this remarkable timing, we realized God's sovereignty at work. It was God moving the people. I finally asked Alfred, do you want some help? God was orchestrating this whole thing. Here in the peak of rush hour traffic, not knowing where to look for Alfred, We were directed straight to him and he to us. God was speaking into that situation the entire time. Alfred did agree to come back to Pivot, went through the restoration program. I can only pray that he's doing well. But what's your take? Coincidence? God's sovereignty? Saints, when you surrender your will, to God and you ask him for his sovereign perspective, he just might ask you to do things that don't make sense immediately. He might ask you to do things that's going to take some surrendering. That's the conversion that we're invited into, saints. That's the change. That's the new life that we're invited into. It's he who initiates things. It's he who is sovereign. He may be nudging your heart today to move in some direction. Are you going to trust him? Conversion, a matter of life and death. It's an ongoing process. It's always initiated by God. Have you gone to the cross? Have you totally surrendered? Maybe someone here needs a soul-like conversion. Maybe simply going deeper with God. Whichever kind of conversion God is inviting you into, ask yourself about it and pray about it today. It's God who initiates it. It's God who's faithful to complete the work. Whatever it is, ask God to do it in you. He's faithful to complete the work. Amen. Amen. Amen.